welcome to Crushgasm, the podcast dedicated to the highs and lows of crushes. From their first to their worst, we're going to cover them all with a cascade of characters, including our guest today, a sleep enthusiast, Whitney Knoxley, a strong black mother, wife, and podcaster who's all about following her passions. We're here to talk not only about her show, The Impostors Podcast, but also her elementary school crush that set the foundation for her crushes to come. But before we get into all of that, Whitney, how are you? I'm good. I'm I'm over here laughing about this intro because <laughs> it's all true. Um, but I'm I'm good. I went to Costco today for the first time in my adult life, um, and it is better than I remember. Wow! Did you get any samples? Yes. Um, they had like a a like natural caffeine energy drink mm-hmm. situation, um, and so this is one of the reasons why it's better. Because when I was growing up, it was like they would give you a little itty bitty cup of something and like hope you buy it. This dude, he gave me a little cup, drank it. I liked it. He was like, do you want a bottle to walk around? And I was like, oh. a bottle? And he's like, yeah, we have a cooler here of water. And it's one of those like where you it's powder that you put into mm-hmm. the water bottle. Uh-huh. So then he gave me like a whole tube to walk around. And um, I didn't wind up buying it today, <laughs> but I will. Like the reason I didn't buy it is because I bought everything else, oh, and I had to say no somewhere. <laughs> there is a line you have to draw at Costco. That's yes. like, oh, they gave you a bottle, man. Yeah, Our- and they they also had like um, mini packs of like some detergents that like obviously you're not gonna wash anything like right <laughs> that second. So like I like this idea of like no, you can actually try it, um, and then next time you come, buy it type of thing. So um, I was impressed. I got lots of some stuff that I hadn't tried before. So some new stuff, some prepared foods. Um, Yeah, I love, love Costco, love Costco. Um, But it's not near my house. So for the past like four years since I've had a family and Costco makes sense, like I've been like, no, I'm not going to Costco because I have to drive a full 20 minutes to get there. (laughs) Um, I regret that decision and um yeah i'm i'm firmly on costco i got my hot dog i got my churro my kids got pizza so yeah it's an experience it is lovely i love costco my only complaint with our local costco is that the samples don't be sampling on the weekends when we can go they mostly do it during yeah during the week is when we have the hot samples like the good ones and then by the weekend out here even where I live in Virginia they just are not Santa and I'm like mm, I just I become a Karen I'm like who's the manager because I, <laughs> I came here for lunch yeah honestly when I lived in California we used to jog to the Costco walk around and eat and then jog home it was like our, it was our lunch so I love Costco and now I'm getting older I totally relate to all those TikTok videos about millennials shopping there for clothes I have so many good jeans from there yes sweats i'm so proud of Mm. myself because i didn't buy a single item of clothing i didn't buy any socks i didn't buy any books i didn't buy any of the things i just bought groceries and toilet paper and um but i i love getting my like loungewear like some sweats Mm -hmm. and stuff Mm -hmm. um sometimes i get jeans at the other place, I'm not going to mention the other place that we shopped that was similar to Costco, but not. <laughs> so yeah, I love there. They should give you some affiliate funding for this. Shout out Jessica Simpson jeans. <laughs> I saw they're on sale right now. Yeah, they're so because me and my friends, we were grew up very emo and we're like stuck with our skinny jeans and they're slowly leaving stores. So every time I find them, I will report back to the friend group like Costco skinny jeans. I found some good Kirkland skinnies and I'm like, I love rock my Kirklands. <laughs> yeah, oh, I don't know if I don't know if the ones that are on sale right now are the skinny jeans, but oh. I saw in the little brochure as I was getting my membership card <laughs> that they've got Jessica Simpson jeans on sale right now. They, they're wonderful. They're a gift. They fit really good. They're high rise, which we love. Don't want don't want the low rise to come back. No, no, no. We lived through that. It's a nightmare. It's like our Great Depression. For well, and now that <laughs> right, and now that we're like adults, mm-mm. 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 I shouldn't have been wearing them as a teen. 
they're like, I was a big child. So <laughs> again, before we get into the crush and all that, um, can you tell us where we can find you and Impostrix online? Yes. So um, www.impostrixpodcast.com is the website. I mostly hang out on Instagram and on LinkedIn. So for Instagram, it's Impostrix Podcast. On LinkedIn, it's just my name, Whitney Knox Lee. Um, you can search me. In 2024, though, I plan on increasing my video presence. So I do have a YouTube channel right now, and that's going to get more active as the year um, moves forward. And so that's also just Impostrix Podcast. And same with um, TikTok. That's my name, Whitney Knoxley. But all of that information is on my website. So let's get to this crush, Kenny. He, which was the name of my first crush uh, when I was little. So I was cool. Uh, he wasn't the Kenny just, Club. I know he wasn't just your elementary school crush. He was your first crush. But when you say that, are we dismissing any like celebrities or cartoon characters up until that point? Because Kenny entered the game around second grade. So was no one from TV or movies like interesting? Not that I can recall. No cartoons? No. I mean, for women of our age, Robin Hood from Disney comes up a lot. Nope. <laughs> now you weren't into the Fox? <laughs> nope. I definitely was not. I'm trying to think <laughs> if that was before or after Mulan, because mm. I really liked basically everybody in Mulan. Um, but I think it was before Mulan. And Lion King, you know, with the Morgan Freeman voice. Um... <laughs> really liked uh the dad Mufasa but no interesting Mufasa usually Scar gets a lot of no absolutely dark hair I'm a murderer speaking of Scar like I was terrified of uh the beast and beauty of the beast I'm sure people had a crush on the beast I was terrified of the beast third uh I believe my third episode uh Demanda Martini a drag artist out in DC area Beast was the crush we talked about. Also, my mom loved the Beast as Beast, and we all agree when he turns human. What the? Like they they definitely messed up the animation when he turned human. I kind I just I don't get Beast, but I see when he turns human being upset because he did mm. look weird. <laughs> yeah, no, I just I just remember being terrified. Like I couldn't I couldn't make it through that movie the first time <laughs> that I saw it. Um, but yeah, no, truly, Kenny is who I remember being like the first person that I was like, oh, so this is what that is. This is what this crush situation is. I was going to say, like, at that age, if you haven't, like, when we first have a crush, it's like, how do we know? You know, this is something new. So for you, what, thinking back, like, what made you realize with Kenny, like, oh, this is a new feeling? Mm the the urge to be mean to him (laughs) and be nice at the same time (laughs) so my son my son is in kindergarten and he's got four girls in his class pushing him and not actually not pushing not pushing but um he calls it bullying but what it is is just kind of like poking fun Mm -hmm. so maybe it is you know maybe it is bullying um but we we i'm trying to talk to him about like they probably just like you, boo. Like, um, I mean, they shouldn't do that. You're right. You can say no. You can say stop. You can say all these things. But just so you know, it's because you're the shit. I mean, well, <laughs> not that language. But um, so with Kenny, though, it was it was similar. Like, I was a very competitive. I was very athletic. Um, I was a tomboy. And so most of my friends were boys. So it was not uncommon for me to have boys who were friends who I was hanging out with and all that stuff. But with Kenny... I wanted the attention, like I got little um, heart flutters, um, <laughs> you know, and I, my, my competitiveness was like a different level. Um, like if I would lose, then I would get much more upset than if I would lose to somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, 
I thought a lot about him. <laughs> and what I do love about elementary school crushes is that they aren't just like the most innocent ones that we have in life, but I also think in many ways they're our most simple because like a lot of times, if you just want to take a psychological approach, crushes at that age are really proximity based. They're just who we're around the most until we get older and start to realize personality traits and all that. But other than being cute and giving you the flutters, what did you first notice about Kenny that made him better than all the other boys you might've been friends with or in class with? I mean, Why was he, he was cool? cuter. That's that's really it. Like he was nice. Um, he was funny. I remember liking his smile. I remember liking um, like his complexion. His complexion was really similar to mine, but it felt really like smooth, chocolatey. I don't know, like, cause there were other people and there were other people that were cute. There was this guy, Andre, super, super, super cute. Maybe cuter than Kenny, but for some reason, like I didn't really have that. Like it wasn't <laughs> like that with Andre. <laughs> he, he was cute, but eh, he didn't have that yeah. X factor. <laughs> yeah. I feel you that because my elementary school crush for me it was because he didn't like the like all the other boys like these few girls and they would always fawn over them but my crush he was like eh, didn't care about them and he was like nice to me and we would always mess around and but I was like he didn't like me I don't think but I just liked the fact that he didn't like the popular girls I was uh, like that's cool yeah he doesn't give them the time of day, which is what they want. He didn't give it to him. But for Kenny, you mentioned he was like your best friend. And did yes. that connection as friends like help fuel the crush? Um, It's possible. I mean, I really can't remember what came first. If it was the crush or the friendship. Um, I remember that he was new to the school. Like I had mm -hmm. been at the school since um, kindergarten. And I believe he came in second grade um and we became friends like I, i'm well i'm sure because he was new that you know he caught my eye uh but like i said i was also a tomboy so mm -hmm. i wasn't just friends with him i was friends with all of the boys and i think through like the play on the playground him and i became friends and probably me crushing on him mm -hmm. had a little to do with us being closer than the rest of the boys. I but he was also my only platonic crush, like in my life. Mm. I mean, not I don't say platonic as like I was I was attracted to him non-platonically, but he was the only crush in my life that like there was never a kiss, there was never anything. Mm -hmm. It was just me crushing on him for through fifth grade, and then he moved. Um, was it in fifth grade or maybe later? He moved from Seattle to another city. I don't even know where. Mm, That's why it had to have ended. But like being his friend and being a tomboy, I, I also grew up a tomboy. I had male friends. So they always felt comfortable telling me when they did like other girls. And it was kind of like, okay, just it didn't bother me because I didn't like any of them. But as his friend, did he ever do that? Like tell you, oh, I like Jessica or like blah, blah, blah. No, but there was another girl I remember who didn't like me because of how close I mm. was to Kenny. I don't know mm. if if he actually liked her though. Um, but I remember getting the side eye. And that's something, you know, as as tomboys, we get that throughout life. Yeah. <laughs> because mm -hmm. we're always the friend of the the dude who's, you know, other who girls are attracted to when we're viewed as the competition, when really we're just one of the guys. Um and so that was the first time that that had happened to me though, where like, m matter of fact, it, actually, as I'm looking back on it, so there was one girl who like made it clear that she mm -hmm. didn't like me because I was friends with Kenny, but there was another girl, her name was Rachel. Her and I actually got into an elementary school fight. Oh. Um, and I never knew what her problem was. Like I, but it could very possibly have been that I was close to any of the guys, you know, maybe Kenny, maybe somebody else. Um, and that she was jealous. I sounds like it because when you are a tomboy and you you get that in with the boys, the other girls don't quite understand it because they're looking they're not looking at you as like competition and I think the looks way, but they are like, dang, what does she got over me that she can get close to him? I yeah. totally understand that. But on the flip side, as a tomboy, we often get stuck in that kind of friend zone position. Mm -hmm, so have mm -hmm. you like experienced that throughout your life? No. 
I because I've I've always been pretty forward with my attraction after after Kenny. <laughs> like I maybe maybe I learned my lesson from Kenny. This is like a therapy session right now because <laughs> um and you said like it set the foundation for all my other crushes. I think I learned a lot um at that young tender age. Um, <laughs> like eight. <laughs> yeah, right. I I am somebody that likes attention and um I'm fairly, you know, outgoing. I'm an extrovert. And so when it would come up that someone was attracted to me, I'd go find out what's up. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I can't remember there being times where I had a crush that, like, was not going to be available to me because I was, like, friend-zoned. Mm-hmm. Usually... I mean, okay, well, let's be honest. I was a great athlete. And so I was popular, like athlete popular, um, which sounds gross coming off my tongue. But (laughs) so if other people, um, you know, I kind of, I I dated other athletes at times or I dated, like it wasn't, it, it kind of felt like there weren't people who were off limits. Oh, that sounds so awful. I get it. I mean, especially for a certain time in life, athletes were the end-all be-all of cool in school settings. Now it's kind of changed to where I don't know what's cool nowadays. You can be anything and be cool. They definitely got rid of the John Hughes model in schools now. We definitely yeah. these Gen X or Gen Z just flipped the script on all of us. We got to relearn what's cool. Yeah. But wait, so you mentioned Kenny. The crush had didn't it didn't stop because it kind of you just fell out of it, but he moved. So were you kind of heartbroken? Were you like, did you know he was going to move or did you show up that first day of school and be like, where the is he? No, no, no. He told me because we were friends. So I was expecting it. It was sad. And I remember in fifth grade, um, I think it was fifth, could have been fourth grade, but he, we had a science project and he was my science partner and we Mm -hmm. were creating the, the task was to create some kind of like game using electricity. We were learning about electricity. And so he came over. I thought I might kiss him when he came over, um, but I didn't. It was just like strictly we're working on this thing. <laughs> and I remember being disappointed. Um, and that's kind of where my memories with uh, around Kenny end. So I, did, I'm gonna imagine that he moved shortly thereafter. And like when Kenny's gone, did anyone like instantly replace him or did it take a second for a new crush? Cause for me, it was like my crushes for elementary are contained there. And then I went on to middle school. I had a crush for three years, middle and then high school, there were more people. So I was like dipping in a few people, but <laughs> like I had significant ones for those two. Yeah. I mean, I would say he was still, like I still thought about it. he was still my gold standard like I have a scar on my shoulder that I'm still like oh, this scar is from when I tripped over Kenny's back foot when we were racing to the playground um like he's definitely coveted in my in my heart and protected there um as this like innocent little cute brown boy but did, were there other crushes yes um I, I, I think after that, I became more curious in general about guys. There are several guys in my life um, or who were in my life at that point um, who I was interested kind of loosely in. I remember having like dreams about and still as an adult, I have dreams where I have crushes on these guys. Like it's kind of like the dream is I'm an adult, but I am like finally having a chance to kiss or get with some guy that I had some lifelong crush on starting in elementary school. I don't know if you've had those type of dreams. Like, I'm not sure. Yeah, like I don't know that I actually had a crush, but my subconscious is telling me that there was a crush in elementary school at least. Um, But so my middle school years were weird because I went to three different middle schools in three years because I was bad. And um, so I, I got kicked out of schools or left schools. Um, and so my first school was an all girls school and it was small and I didn't have a crush on anybody there. My second school was um, like an alternative school. And that's where kind of the jock 
situation mm-hmm. started um, mm-hmm. because like I was one of the best people on the basketball team. And then I started like, I, I had a crush on like the best player on the male's basketball team. Um, and we started kind of messing around on the back of the bus type of situation. Um, and then I got kicked out of that school because I got into a fight and went to, for eighth grade, like a small um, Christian Baptist um, school. Mm-hmm. And there is when I really started to realize that me being a tomboy was going to be a problem with girls because um, there were two guys who were interested in me. Uh, and it was back in the days of like a friend would ask you out for somebody else. Um. Um, and so how I understand it, my first like real boyfriend, this was my first boyfriend situation. I had a crush on this guy. Um, I, What was his name? I don't remember his name even. And he was too shy. He liked me too, but he was too shy to ask me out. So he told his friend Roland to ask me out for him. Roland said, okay. But then Roland asked him out for himself. Mm. (laughs) And I was like, oh, well, okay. (laughs) I guess. So then I went out with Roland (laughs) and then like he became my boyfriend. And then I found out like after the fact that the first guy had told Roland to ask him out and it... (gasps) It became a thing amongst them. But anyways, both of these two guys were pretty popular with the girls. And it was a um, private school. I mentioned it was Baptist. So it was one of those schools where like you matriculate from elementary school to middle school together. So I'm coming in at eighth grade Mm -hmm. at the end of this like, you know, eight year long friendship familiarity that all these kids have with each other Mm -hmm. I'm this new girl and two of the like you know one of them was the class clown the other one was like an athletic person they were both like I don't know known so um and basically fighting over me so all the other girls we're not having it so I got in a fight there too and um Mm -hmm. left eventually and went back to the all girls school I understand that. I grew up in that kind of same thing where you're just together for so long. And when someone does new enters the ecosystem, it's like, who the F are you? Mm -hmm. We don't know you. You have to really prove yourself. We had two middle schools that joined to only one high school. And like, I remember I did not like the other kids from the other school. Like when they became friends with my friends that I grew up with, have spent these years with, I was like, these biatches gotta go. They mm-hmm. got to go. I just was not okay with this simultaneous. <laughs> I was like, okay. no, nah, I don't need them. I don't need those girls. But um, you mentioned that you learned to be more forward in what you wanted. But are there any other lessons you can think of that you might have taken from your crush on Kenny as to the foundation of your? He's kind of in your Mount Rushmore of crushes. I always think, like, in our heads, we kind of have those four that stick out or a few. And I think he's definitely one of yours. So, any lessons other well, than the. Yeah, I mean, I would say it w- that was maybe one of the only. There are two times, I think, in my life that I have had a crush on someone and either it wasn't reciprocated or it couldn't work out or something and I wound up hurt. And so I think for me, the thing about like letting my intentions be known is kind of like, I don't want to be hurt. And Mm -hmm. so I also would always be the one to like back out of the relationship or sabotage the relationship or, um, like I would pursue, I would like find somebody that I thought was cute or whatever, and then I would pursue them. Uh, and I would not stop until they were interested in me. Not not healthy. I do not recommend this. Um, it was it was a problem. It was it was not it was a problem. But um, Kenny and then my high school crush, who we were gonna do this episode on. But I thought that might be weird if my husband listened. <laughs> because he's still in my life. That my high school mm. crush is still in my life. In a in a loose way. Um, my husband knows and everything. And whatever. But anyways, I didn't want to do a whole episode talking about my high school crush. Because then I felt like that might be too 
romanticizing mm-hmm. this this person who's still in my life. Um, <laughs> so, anyways, I think ultimately, like those those two situations are when I felt like a little bit of or actual heartbreak, um, and I don't. I'm not trying to be vulnerable like that for nobody um, <laughs> till I met my husband. And then it was like, uh, he's a Southern man, so very also forward. Um, we were, he was older in age. She was about, he's seven years older than me. So I was 25, he was 32. So, I mean, now it doesn't sound like that's just regular age, but at the mm-hmm. time it felt mm-hmm. like, um, he had been married and divorced and was, you know, at the point in his life where he was starting to look for somebody to settle down with. So when he came around, he was very upfront with me, asked me out on a date, blah, 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 blah. And when I decided that, like, I actually did want to get to know him, I called him and I was oh. like, hey, uh, we, cause we had gone to like a group friend dinner and at that dinner, it was after our first date. At that dinner, we had sat down and um, we were enjoying the meal, but we didn't have a chance to talk to each other because there was like 12 other people there. Um, so I wanted to call him after we left to say like, hey, sorry, we didn't have a chance to talk. I am interested in getting to know you more. So let's go on another date. And so that's what I did. And he was like, oh, okay. I was gonna give it another day, but okay. <laughs> That's good. I wish I had that that level of confidence. But I was going to say, like, you mentioned the dreams you have, like these former crushes. And I I think that's something we all do, even if we won't admit it. We tend to wonder that what if situation Mm -hmm. Uh, with that. What do you think your life would be like today if Kenny had never moved? Do you think you would have been one of those very rare elementary school crushes to go on and marry? When I tell you that my life has taken so many twists and turns and that my personality, literally nobody from... So, okay, the other part about my story is that I'm a recovering alcoholic. And so I've been sober now for 11 years. Congratulations. Thanks. But any person that I met before I got sober was not going to last through... (laughs) my addiction at all so i'm almost glad like the people who knew me before then like y'all got the the pure the pure (laughs) whitney and then there's the people in the middle that just got the crazy fucked up like i don't know what's happening whitney and then there's the after after sobriety after getting sober which is the calm sure confident mother wife whitney So Kenny got the pure, just know the rest. But yep. so we'll leave, we're gonna leave Kenny in the past, but always remembered, you always will have the scar. We always have those elementary crushes, our first crushes that I think always are gonna be close to our hearts, no matter where we go in time or what we go through. So now that we talked about Kenny, it's time to dive more into you and what you have going on with Impostrix. I think it's a very interesting and necessary podcast that you kicked off last year in July, but being an attorney as well, wife, a mom, what made you want to add a podcast to the plate? So the podcast actually was my outlet. Um, I, at the time, was doing civil rights law, which was my dream. Um, I had gotten this position at this prestigious firm, um, nonprofit civil rights firm, and uh, like, from the moment I graduated law school seven years earlier, that was my dream job. Um, And there became a point where my dream job turned into a nightmare. Mm -hmm. And to the point of um, like affecting my mental health, anxiety, um, irritability, I was distracted from my family, um, just lots of, things. It was difficult. Like the job in itself is difficult. I was working in jails and prisons, advocating for people who were incarcerated. Um, and that is hard and sad and, and difficult. But then also my work environment itself was really difficult for me and really toxic for me. So I got the idea of 
doing this podcast because I was listening to, I w- first of all, I was not a podcast listener. I don't know why I was listening to this podcast, but I was listening to um, the Financial Feminist. Oh, I know why. Because my student loans had just been forgiven and I was trying to figure out how to get my financial life in order and um, was drawn to this name, Financial Feminist. And it was great. It was engaging. I learned a lot. And I was like, wait a second. Wait a one damn minute. Let me, I can do this. Like I can have a podcast and talk about um, race and talk about the patriarchy and talk about capitalism and what all of that has to do with work and what all of that has to do with creating internalized self-doubt, which is this imposter syndrome. Um, and so from there, I just ran with it. Um, and that turned into Impostrix podcast. I had no idea how much work it was going to be. I thought I was just sitting in front of a mic and pushing episodes out. I don't know how I managed. I guess my previous boss would say I did not manage because I was spending maybe 20 to 30 hours a week um, on the podcast and and working more than full time and momming and all of that stuff. So um, yeah, but so the show is called Impostrix Podcast. We validate professionals of color who navigate imposter syndrome narratives and racial toxicity in their careers. And um, I I'm a believer that imposter syndrome is an external malady. It's something that we experience because of systems like white supremacy um, and patriarchy. It's this feeling that we're not good enough, even though we damn sure are. And I think for people of color like myself, I'm a black woman, I experience it differently than white people um, because the society that we live in does not celebrate my being. And and the spaces that I enter weren't meant for me. And so, you know, it was this this has really been a healing project for me. And it's been a creative outlet for me. Um, it's given me a lot of courage to do things like quit my job. And um yeah, it's been amazing trying to see if I want to go with the black woman route as a black woman myself or the imposter syndrome. I'm going to go the black woman route first. Um, <laughs> I would just something like I, I went to college just to move. Everybody that listens to this knows that anyone that talks to me five minutes knows I had no plans. I just went to leave home. And so when I left college, I got to my senior year, graduated. I was like, I don't know what I want to do. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this degree in this most general of subjects, humanities. What is it? That should be illegal to give us a degree <laughs> And something that's not real but um, I had it and then so I have a whole file on my email of just um, rejections from jobs I am the I think I have the world record of it I wish I had kept track since I graduated I probably would have the world record so I don't really know imposter syndrome yet because I haven't reached that level of success but as a black woman and having like a Spanish last name because I'm also Spanish as well mixed mm. I do think that we have the hardest black women in the workforce would you say that's true even I think I have harder we have it harder than black men in this world like black women I feel we are the least listened to and the like you'll just throw our resumes aside would you say that's fact yeah absolutely and you know we're recording this shortly after um you know claudine gay resigned dr claudine gay resigned from her position at harvard and we don't have to get into that necessarily but i raised that because on social media i've been seeing a lot um the quote from was it frederick douglas someone has this quote that's essentially saying just that like black women um, are the least respected in our society. They're, dang it. See, I'm gonna have to find this this quote while we're talking um, so that I can say it. But I, I do agree with that. I think that, um, you know, we, our role in society is complex, um, but society doesn't give us credit for managing all of it, particularly mm-hmm. when it comes to being a partner or being a caregiver, um, we, as you know, during the Reconstruction after slavery, we 
became professional caregivers. We were already caregivers. Um, and I think, you know, that's a, a part of our role. It's, what am I trying to say? So the other aspect I think of our culture, at least in my family, is that we are matriarchal. And even though men, black men, have this very real responsibility and pressure to provide for the family, it's the women who do everything. Mm -hmm. We run the house, we make sure that the money gets where it needs to go, we raise the children, we make the food, we make sure that if stuff is broken, um, it's getting fixed. And maybe that's telling our whoever's to fix it, or maybe that's actually going and getting the things fixed. We keep track of the health in the household. We, you know, it's, we have so many responsibilities, yet we are given the least amount of respect. Mm -hmm. And I think I was talking to one of my guests on the show who was saying that like, our roles tend to, our roles in, in the home place and our personal lives tend to follow us into our professional lives. So, that's saying things like if at home we are the home caretakers if you will um we'll do the same in the office so if there's a dishwasher in the office it'll be a woman who is cleaning the dishes putting the dishes in the dishwasher or taking them out instead of a man if there is a meeting it'll be the woman who's volunteering to be secretary instead of um, a man if coffee needs to be made in the morning in the office, it'll be a woman who's doing the coffee. And not always, of course, not all the time. Um, but I liked that comparison because I think it's the same as far as how we view women and men and how we view black women. Um, that whatever our views are or however we treat them, whether we have implicit bias or whether we're just straight explicit about it um that follows us into the workplace totally agree i just it bothers me of just like especially in podcasting women already are like second class citizens in this platform but as a black woman it's even harder to get your voice out but back to the imposter syndrome something again i don't really have experience with as i haven't reached that level yet to feel imposterous in but I do want to know, like in your research and your work, have you found like any careers or industries that su like people suffer the most with imposter syndrome? Um. Okay. So hold on. Before I before I go back to this, <laughs> it was not Frederick Douglass. It was Malcolm X. I don't know why I said Frederick Douglass, um, because it makes sense that it's M Malcolm X. But it's the most disrespected person in America is the black woman. The most unprotected person in America is the black woman. And the most neglected person in America is the black woman. Um, and I think that quote like sums it up as far as our blackness and our womanness. Um, but about imposter syndrome. So no, to answer your question in short, I don't know that there's like one field um, mm -hmm. that has people who experience that more or or less. But the background that I wanna give about imposter phenomenon is that um, there were two white female uh, psychologists who are still alive who were here in Atlanta when they were doing that study. Um, but they did a study on their patients who were white, middle-class, high-achieving women. And they used the term high-achieving and they used it to mean people who um, were getting advanced degrees or who had already gotten advanced degrees who were like top of their class in school, who had, um, you know, professions that are kind of highly revered in this society. So lawyers, doctors, mm -hmm. engineers, um, who were very, very, very smart and very, very capable, but who felt like they weren't good enough, who felt like they were a fraud um, in their workplaces, but also in their school. Like if they were, if they were in school, if they were getting their PhD or something. Um, and so I, I want to bring up that background because one, this phenomenon was initially used to describe white women. Mm -hmm. um, now, the study, I believe, did have 
some people of color, a few people of color, but it was predominantly white women. Um, the other thing that I want to say is because of our society, again, because of the external, because of black women being the most disrespected, black women being the most unprotected, that although imposter syndrome itself um, is really considered an internal malady, what I argue is that it's, it's not at all, is that it's an external force. I think when we are anxious or nervous because we are doing something new or because we are taking on an important task that we maybe it's the first time or we're learning something um I don't think that's imposter syndrome I think that's just being nervous because it's the first time and because we're learning something and because we're doing something big Mm -hmm. imposter syndrome is when you feel as though you're a fraud that what you know, whatever led to you being in that position was a mistake that you've fooled somebody um, and that really your capacity and your your genius is much lower than everybody else thinks. And people who have who struggle with imposter syndrome feel that way even when um, there's objective evidence to the contrary. So even when I've gone gotten my diploma from high school and then I've gone to college and graduated top of my class and then I went to law school and then I took the bar and I passed the bar and then I got a job and then I practiced law if I'm still feeling like an imposter like a fraud that's just not true Mm -hmm. I did literally everything that's that's required of me and I still feel like I'm an imposter but I feel like an imposter because I look around and nobody looks like me. Like my mm-hmm. feeling of feeling like an imposter is a feeling of I don't belong because everything around me, everything that I'm internalizing is telling me that I don't belong. Not because I just, I don't know, think that I don't, you know, like it's, it's because of all of this other stuff around me. It's because of the messages that I've internalized about my worth, about my value, about me being smart or not smart, about you know my attitude, my tone, the way that I look, about my hair, about all the things. And so um, I read a book by Elizabeth Liba called "I'm Not Yelling," and it's about it's about Black women in the workforce and how we the, some of the things that we navigate. And um, she uses the term imposter treatment. I like that. And I began using the term imposter experiences. And what I mean when I say imposter experiences is that we feel we are experiencing a feeling of being an imposter, but that that experience is not internal. It's not, it's not rooted in me it's rooted in the environment that I'm walking mm-hmm. into. Do you think that as we progress and more women of color in these higher positions or just women in general, and we just get more diverse in these higher you know, lawyers, doctors, that future generations won't have these experiences? Um, I hope so. You know, there's, I think there's a lot of factors that, that come into play because also what I'm learning in my podcast is that this is cultural and that black people from other countries, the Caribbean specifically, Mm -hmm. don't necessarily have this feeling of imposter and not every, I mean, it's, it's, I shouldn't generalize um, because it's not everyone, but in other cultures where maybe there's, um, a black majority or maybe maternalism and matriarchy are more mainstream (laughs) and more celebrated the feeling of being less than because you're a black or because you're a black woman is less ingrained in our psyche Uh and so I've had conversations with people on the podcast who are like look Whitney I don't know what you mean I don't know what you're talking about with imposter syndrome. 
I'm from Jamaica. I grew up. They told me I can do whatever I want and wherever I am is where I'm supposed to be. And that's how I move throughout this world. Um, so I'll say that I think representation does matter. And I think the way that we are raising our children, our young girls, our black kids, our black boys, um, our trans folk, our you know, people of color, the way that we raise each other needs to be in a way that we envision us using the power that we inherently have and not shrinking. And so part of my goals with Impostrix Podcast is to help people feel the power that they have and to not shrink, to undo that. And we do that by sharing our experiences and calling it out as what it is, which is bullshit. Like, you think you're an imposter? You're not. <laughs> Somebody's treating you like an imposter? Yeah, that happened to me too. And they wrong. We just have to keep, keep doing, we can support each other, we can heal. We've got some healing to do around racial trauma. Um, <laughs> So I think it's I think it's complex, but yes, I do think that representation does matter. I don't think we end there because representation without inclusion doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't say I'm not surprised that it might be like a, a U.S. cultural thing because the U.S. has a lot of issues. We know that, but yeah, that's interesting. I never thought about the cultural aspect of like you go to Jamaica or you go to like an African country compared to here because you know even though you look around and you can see a lot of black people, a lot of Hispanic people, we still are treated worse because we are not straight male Christian with money. So Yeah. And I mean, you know, white supremacy obviously isn't limited to the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, we live in a world full of white countries that colonized brown mm-hmm. countries. Um, and so it was really surprising to me to hear people say that they've they can't think of a time when they've experienced imposter syndrome or that it's not something that's significant in their lives. Cause I'm over here like, well, how do I get that? <laughs> um, but again, what they told me was that, you know, when you grow up in a place where your being black isn't unique, mm-hmm. then it's just not unique. Um, now there might be other things. Maybe now it's colorism instead of just mm-hmm. blackness by itself. Maybe it's mm-hmm. the, the shade of your skin. Um, classism. I know there are countries where they use the, the caste system and, and, and you know your family wealth and generational wealth now becomes the race, you know, mm-hmm. basically America's version of race. So, so I think, you know, there's other things at play, but I've, I I think that, you know, when we're talking about imposter syndrome, for me, it helps to reframe imposter syndrome altogether mm-hmm. to acknowledge that it's not me, that my feelings of this specific type of self-doubt come from outside of me. Um, and so how can I block that out and instead listen to my inherent genius and my inherent power? It's a good way to go. But with all that said, um, what's to come on Impostrix as we get more into 2024? How are you helping people feel that they don't have to shrink and they can be out there? It's just an experience. Yeah, Yeah, thank you. So I did quit my job last year. So um, I am uh, starting a business. I don't know the name of it right now. It's just called W. Knox Lee LLC. But I am getting into, well, I've been for several years now, um, a DEI consultant, diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant. And so I'm now going to be doing that full time in addition to the podcast and um, mediation and specifically race and culture based conflict mediation within the workplace. So because one of the things that I've seen as I'm providing training and education on anti-racism and inclusion is that people need a little bit more support navigating conflicts and figuring out what to do next after. I've I've done some teaching, 
And so um, the podcast will continue to be um, an accessible way for people to get information on things like anti-racism and inclusion um, for both people of color and uh, white people. The podcast centers the voices of people of color. So we only have people of color on the show. And um, in 2024, we're going to have several mini series that coincide with the different awareness months. Um, of course, Black History and Women's History, but also uh, Second Chance Month, which is um, celebrating people that are returning from incarceration to start their careers. So we're going to be having people on to talk about what it's like dealing with career and imposter syndrome after serving time in prison. Um, we're also going to be talking about substance abuse and recovery and career and mental health and career. We are going to have mini series on um, BIPOC entrepreneurship. And um, then we're going to end season three. So next fall, we're going to end with general employment law topics like disability and the ADA. And what do we do when we need to take leave because of a mental health or a physical health issue? Very cool, very cool. The prison one. What month is the the prison? The second April. chance of April. Oh, my brother is a he just got out after quite a while and he's slowly building his life back up. And it's really cool to see him actually like at almost fifty start to take it. Like, you know, this is the he doesn't want to go back this time. So it's really it's been really cool to see him like finally turn it around. So I'll, I'll let him know in April. That's his month. Yes, <laughs> but, um... yeah, absolutely. We're gonna have um, actually after this, I'm recording with with a gentleman. Um, I've you know people who have spent 25 years in prison. Um, after you know admitting to a crime or not, I I'm also gonna be interviewing somebody who spent 10 years in prison but then got exonerated. Mm -hmm. um, and rebuilding their lives and their careers and setting themselves up and dealing with, you know, people in the workplace who are talking, who are using language that's dehumanizing, like criminal, like felon, like convict, um, language that I don't use, inmate. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so it's gonna be interesting. Ooh, looking forward to it. But before we go, can you remind people where they can find you in Impostrix Online? Yes. So I am on social media, but you can find all of that information, all of my handles, the events that I have coming up, workshops, etc. at www.impostrixpodcast.com. Right, Whitney. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me about your elementary school crush and so much more important things in life. And everyone can find all that information below. And until next time, as always, keep crushing it. Crushgasm is part of the I Did Not Make These Rankings podcast network, alongside some other pretty cool shows, including An Evening at the Movies, Crime, Rewind, Literature Reapers, Love is Black, Masturbators, Men are the Prize, and The Sipless. You can find all of us and more over at IDNMTRpodcastnetwork.com.